Hi, I'm Beth. I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 62. Today, Andrea and I are talking about feeding kids. Let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear. Don't forget, all of the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good. I am tired. Um, <laughs> my daughter, my the baby, got two teeth last week. And now she has this like head chest cold thing going on. So she hasn't really needed me at night, but she's been crying out a lot at night. So it's like one of those like she's still asleep, but she's kind of crying. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't have to go in, but she wakes me up. And so, yeah. (laughs) So I'm tired. And then, of course, yesterday and Tuesday, the two days the nanny was there, right? Mm-hmm. She took, and yesterday she took an hour and 15 minute nap in the morning, maybe an hour and a half, a two hour nap midday, and then an hour and 15 minute nap again in that night. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's when the nanny's here. This morning she slept for about 28 minutes. I don't know what it is. Why, why does that happen? I'm like, it's like, you know, you, you, I try to think about like, well, she just likes me so much. She doesn't want to miss out on time with mm-hmm. me. But it's like I'm not even nursing her during the day because she like she's on a nursing strike, so she'll only nurse for maybe a minute and a half at a time, and then would rather nurse all night. And I am like, no, this is not going to happen. So I pump and feed her a bottle instead, so that I can like follow yeah. her around with it as she's. Oh yeah, she's also crawling. All of a sudden, that just happened. Um, oh, exciting yeah. and terrifying at the same time. Right. Since. Yeah, it's still an army crawl, but she's getting faster. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so anyways, so I'm tired, but that is that is parenthood sometimes. How are you doing? Um, I'm pretty good. I feel like my whole week has just been weird because of like I worked an extra day on Monday at the clinic. And so like I never work at the clinic on Monday. So my whole day, I feel like I've been a week like behind or ahead. You know what I mean? Like on Monday, I thought it was Tuesday. So it's just been like one of those weeks that's weird. That's all. But like nothing really too too interesting going on here that I can think of at least. So you worked when everyone else had off. Yeah, we so we took we got the clinic was closed last Tuesday. And um my bot we normally are closed on President's Day. Apparently I like don't even know what we do on Mondays. I had no idea we're closed on President's Day because I don't work. <laughs> but um or my boss is like, if anyone wants to make up some hours. So my friend was doing it. So it was just me and my friend there. So it was like super chill. My boss was out of town. So I was like, why the hell not? You know what I mean? Like, instead of taking vacation time, like just get a few hours in and like, it was super chill day. So I'm glad I did. It was one of those, like, I don't really want to, but I know later on in the year when I have extra vacation hours and I get to like get paid to take vacation, I'm going to love it because I know at some point if I switch into true entrepreneurship, I don't get someone to pay me to go on vacation. So I was going to say, <laughs> the, I, advantage now. <laughs> I do, I do miss paid time off. That is, mm-hmm. that is the one thing it makes it harder to take a vacation. Yeah. When, I don't, yeah, I don't get very much since I'm part time and technically it's really only, it was only last year that I started getting it. Cause there was a new law that got passed that said even part time people had to earn sick time. So technically 
I think it's only sick time, but he lets me use it as vacation. Like he doesn't, I don't know if there's stipulations about it. I was like, Hey, I've been saving all this sick time, but I haven't got sick. Like, can I use it as vacation? He's like, yeah, sure. Do whatever the hell you want. It's your time. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Cause I thought I was only allowed to use it for sick time, but. <laughs> and it sounds like your voice is getting a little bit better. I know, right? I'm like, at what point do I get concerned that I broke a vocal cord? <laughs> Oh man! I don't know. I feel That's hard. all right. That's all right. It affects my singing, Beth. Oh, like singing "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." No, like belting out amazing ballads in the car. <laughs> Truth. Yes. Uh, let's see songs. what we've been belting out. Uh, <laughs> Frozen. I was hearing somebody saying that. Um, well, first it was like, well, for, let it go is going to be the new journey, you know, uh, don't stop believing. But then I also heard that Baby Shark was all of a sudden in like 15 years, Baby Shark's going to come on in a bar and everyone's just going to stop and go like, Baby Shark. Do, 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 do. Yeah. I saw that meme and I was like, I've heard the Baby Shark song and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I don't. My child is not of, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't hear outside things yet. So he's never heard Baby Shark. <laughs> so I like don't really understand the obsession with our kids just like obsessed with it. They yeah, well, like there's it a video. Or, like... There's a video that goes along with it, and I guess maybe it's the do 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 kind of songs. But yes, like the uh, I'm gonna say like four to twelve. It's a pretty big range of like these kids that just like twelve year old. Really? Oh, that's so funny. I don't know. At work with at the in rehab, they were doing karaoke to it. So Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Now that you all have baby shark stuck in your head, let's talk about food. Uh for our nutrition podcast, which is what I feel like we started off at. We talk very little about nutrition. Um, I think a lot of that's because we realize that nutrition's not the end all be all of everything. Um, and I think that's something to remember when we're talking about feeding kids too, but, um, this is a great follow-up when we were talking about kind of raising independent thinkers and how to foster that the past couple of episodes. So we wanted to talk about how we approach, and maybe we'll throw in some research here or there of, of feeding children and kind of what works for us. Sounds good. So I just first wanted to start with like... I mean, I think it's obvious why we're talking about this, but I just wanted to point out some maybe obvious things, but that maybe some not so obvious ones. So anyone who has current eating issues with their child understands that it really is incredibly stressful and it really messes with like your family dynamic. It really increases family tensions if you're trying to sit down to have a nice meal. And every time it's like just this battle with your and I just am assuming toddlerhood at this stage, but like obviously any kid age applies. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's, it's this battle. It's like you go to sit down and I want ketchup and I want this and I want that. And so it's like, you can never sit down and have this good meal. Um, and I think that is a really, really common thing I see in my clients. And I saw this pre-child. So it was something I like read into a lot. So I tr- like to try to avoid that <laughs> with my, my own kid. But is my client's, would really struggle with like, they're like, well, I can't sit down and eat and chew my food and like be attentive to my meal because I'm tending to my toddler who constantly wants something else or is constantly freaking out or throwing their food or, you know, you're doing all these things. Like they they never had that ability to just be like, ah, let me sit and relax and eat. And so it impacted their health. 
um, you know, because that can lead to, we've talked about chewing your food and how important it is. So it wears you out. It's freaking exhausting. It's like you've cooked this great meal and then your kids don't want it. And then you have to get up and cook something else and you have to do this. It's just tiring. Um, but most importantly, and I think the point that is overlooked is that it really does lead to poor eating habits later on. And these battles around food at an early age, unfortunately do get oftentimes embedded and can lead to eating issues as, as an adult. Some can be subtle and some can be pretty, you know, as, you know, pretty obvious. But it's like, for instance, you know, in my case, my parents were the like clean your plate type of food. So, you know, they meant nothing harmful by it, but it's like that has led to me having an issue with like eating way too much for my body and ha- and not really having that gauge and not realizing until after the fact. Like I, it's something I still struggle with. Like I really... I need to like, my body doesn't know, like I don't have that signal. It's now like this like thing I've had to be like, okay, I'm assuming I've had enough. And then later on it kind of kicks in. Um, and, and I see this in my clients a lot. Like I talk to them, the more I've learned about as kids, the eating habits, the more I've talked to my clients about like, what was eating like with a family? And I really see these patterns carry over and it's really helpful for them to identify and then be able to work through. So we're not going to prevent everything. As we've said many times, we're going to screw up our kids sometimes, or we're going to sometimes we're going to screw up our kids, period. <laughs> There's going to be things that happen. We cannot prevent everything. Okay. It's like, whatever they can work through it as adults. If you do accidentally screw them up, it's okay. But what we know is there are things we can do to help and hopefully try to, you know, give them less issues whenever possible. And it's really never too late to address this. Again, I'm working through some of these issues with like 70 year olds and they're getting better. Okay. So it's never too late. So you can absolutely address this um, no matter what. Uh, Any comments on that, Beth, or anything? Yes. I, well, I was definitely a member of the cleaning plate club when I was a kid. My dad even brought home stickers one time that said like clean, clean plate club member. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say I get the signals like I think I'm full, but it's like, well, there's only a couple bites left. I might as well finish it. And yeah, so that's really hard for me. Uh, so I'm right there with you. So, yeah, let's talk about how how do a how do not pass our traits on to our kids? Yeah. And I think what you just said right there is like how to not pass our traits on is one of probably the most important things, but also something I'm not gonna, or I don't plan on specifically diving into like, cause I think it is such an individual basis thing and really is like the center of most coaching work you would do with like one-on-one with someone. Because even if like you have these subgroups of like, Oh, people who were taught to clean their plate, people who, you know, had other issues, people who were taught to diet, but like, even within that, it gives everyone these like different issues. So I think folk, like if, if that's something you're not ready to go mentally, if you focus on your kid first and kind of like listen to what we have to say, see what it brings up in you. And it might be something that's worth, it totally is something that's worth investigating 
with someone or just through journaling or, you know, using other principles we've talked about in this podcast later on. And definitely something, you know, you can talk to Beth or I on because that's kind of what we help people with. Um, so I just want to mention that if something like we're saying is like, oh, my God, that's giving me so much anxiety right now to try to do that. Like, all right, why? Like, that's where you want to start questioning. And those are where your own issues are popping up. But we're going to focus on kind of kid directed stuff in this episode. So there's a great resource, um, Ellen Satter. It's E-L-L-Y-N-S-A-T-T-E-R. And she has a book, it's called Child of Mine. And she has a, on her website, honestly, there's a ton of free information. So she has this concept called the vision of responsibility. And I love that concept. And I don't know, I feel like pretty much I, I agree with that for the most part and what we'll be discussing today. And um, the, what I did want to say about her book is I really disagree with a lot of her nutrition advice. Like I, her book is really good. Um, the examples she gives are super helpful and especially like kind of the psychological piece of it, but I really don't like her nutrition advice for the most part. Some stuff is fine, but I'm just put, putting that out there. Sorry, Ellen. Um, so if you can read it without paying attention to that, that would be my recommendation. So again, this can start as early as newborns and with a newborn and, you know, a little tiny baby. It's really the whole principle is you decide what the baby's eating. So are they eating? Hopefully it's between breast milk and formula. I hope there's not really too many other options there. Uh, and the baby decides everything else. Like end of story. I mean, baby get, babies that young get to feed on demand. Like ideally, I know obviously that's not, it doesn't work for everybody, but if it's like they're feeding on demand, whether it's bottle or breast. Um, and that's just how it is up until like three to four months. Again, that's going to be, there's no hard age ranges here, but that's like when you start being, that might be when you're like, all right, I'm sick of nursing on demand. Like Beth is like, all right, this whole nursing just at night thing needs to stop, you know? So that might be where you're like, all right, I'm going to try to switch to start to get a little bit more of that. I'm deciding on the when to feed as well. Um, and also like the where. So if you're out in public, maybe baby has to wait a little bit more, things like that. So you're just starting to build in a little bit more structure. So uh, mm-hmm. I do want to, and I knew might be getting to this, but you know, you can decide on the when and where, but baby still gets to decide on how much. And I think that um, breastfeeding or bottle feeding, there comes a difference with that because breastfeeding, you don't actually know how much your child is taking in. And I think that's a good thing because you can just feed your baby until your baby's full and then your baby stops and you're okay. Whereas, I mean, even me, when I feed my baby a bottle, it's like, well, one, I don't want to have to throw out this precious pumped milk or expensive formula. It's like, but there's only a half an ounce left. Like we could finish it or, you know, we'll save it. I'll just offer it to you in like 15 minutes and I'll just tap you off again. So, you know, so I think that that's something really important to point out, even at the age of three and four months, when you're starting to do more schedule-based feedings, your baby still should be the one deciding how much. Yes, 100%. I think that's like one of the most common things, and that carries through at any age. Like, your job is never, ever to decide how much, or even if, like, the baby can refuse a feeding too. Like, that's where our responsibility is completely out of it. So once there's actually some really cool studies that she talks about in her book where they're, I'm guessing they're formula fed or, I mean, they were bottle fed so they could measure it. I don't know what they were. I can't remember what was in the bottle, but um, 
they it was like very specific calories and so they kind of tracked it was very much this responsibility the babies completely decided how much and they the babies like food intake was very regular of how many calories although how much they had at different feedings varied quite a bit so like they were eating like almost identical calorie counts but like on you know some days they would eat you know five times a day and other days it was three times a day and like you know varied amounts and so then they put in like a little extra fat. So it was the same amount, but like it was fattier and the babies adjusted, they had less of it and they still ate the same amount of calories and then they watered it down. And so the babies had more of it and they adjusted for the calories. Like no matter what they tried to do to get these babies to eat differently, like they didn't, they would just adjust it. And they were never forcing the babies to eat more of these. It was still like allowing them to eat what they wanted. And so it's like once the baby turned away and was done, they were done. So it was just really, really interesting to see. And they they did like a lot of studies like that. And like, you know, the book um, she talks about where like they're trying to like mess with the feeding, trying to force like a underweight baby to eat more. And it doesn't work. Like the baby's like, no, I don't need any more calories. Like I'm good. So I think that's really, really important here. And the main thing is, is that we just need to trust that our baby's bodies know what they need. So And this applies to any baby, like unless your baby is being like completely primarily like tube fed where it's like you, I mean, the baby doesn't have a say in that, like that's different. Or the baby has some like really, she like quotes a certain metabolic condition. She's like, this is the only exception. I couldn't even tell you, I never heard of it. Where it's like the baby, like it completely doesn't have a regulation. So it's like, this applies to anyone basically for the most part. I will I will put an extra caveat just because of the kids that I've worked with. If you do have a child that has various delays or weaknesses or issues, I have come across kids that do not have the energy to eat as much like physically, whether they're not um, able to manage the suck swallow or they just don't have the energy to eat as much as they need. So they might still be hungry, but they're falling asleep or they're just they're just not able to to do it, listen, you know, go and talk to your doctors. I do think that doctors put way more emphasis on weight than they need to, and they freak parents out, myself included. They're like, oh, let's do another weight check. Um, but but I also want to say, like, you need to pay attention to your child. If your child is lethargic and seems to be not doing well or not eating or falling asleep at every feed, even if they're three, four months old or screaming bloody murder like they're not getting enough, look into it. So so that's always that caveat that there are, you know, that I have seen plenty of kids that that need something, you know, some, you know, whether you're breastfeeding and they might not actually be getting enough because your body, no matter how hard you're trying, your body's just not making enough, or you know, you might need to adjust things a little bit. They're not don't have the proper. Maybe they have a tongue tie or a lip tie that's undiagnosed. So there are there are reasons that your baby may not be able to do it. But the idea is that they should be able to have those signals. We are born with the signals that say, I am hungry and I am full. At 30 years old, my signals are really muddled, but we are born with them. Yes, totally. And yeah, and of course, if you have like a tongue tie, you're not producing enough, your baby's probably going to let you know, hopefully, I mean, for the most part. So yes, of course, in those case. And yeah, and I'm sure Beth has all kinds of like food modifications and stuff for babies that are having issues with eating or get really fatigued, you know, and certain making all kinds of like high calorie. I don't know what she does. So maybe that could be a cool episode. Um, So yes. Um, Anyway, so once 
So that's like really little babies. And then once your child is eating solids, you're really starting to decide what, when, and where. So your responsibility is like, what, you know, solids are they eating? When are they eating them? And then of course, where? And then like before, child decides completely how much and whether. So that means if you're eating, you know, or offering certain solids, baby gets to decide if he's eating it or not. And um, what I wanted to say is this can lead to this like taking battles away around food. You know, it's like when you just don't place this emphasis or this like outcome or this attachment to whether your baby is eating the food or not, it just like frees your life so much more. And it's like battles around food only happen if you make it a battle. Like if you're attaching an outcome to your kid eating something if you don't have an attachment to like if they eat it or not, like there's no battle that can happen around food. So like mealtimes actually can be super pleasant and like not be this issue. Now we have toddlers. Toddlers are always going to have issues and like things like that. And so there might be battles around other areas, but like not around the eating the food itself. There really doesn't ever need to be a battle around like the food itself. Because when we do, we start to create these issues around food. Um, if we're telling our kid, you know, like you need to eat that food before you eat that one, or like you need to clean your plate. It, it basically is telling the child that he doesn't trust his own like body, like internal body, to, uh, whatever tool that tells him that he's full. So, and that's like what Beth and I are talking about that. We don't really have that. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. You're like, yeah, I don't know, really know exactly when I'm full. And that's because we were told over and over and over not to trust it. Like maybe our body told us we were full on that certain food. Like I don't want any more sweet potatoes, but we were forced to eat them. And so therefore we're like, okay, we can't really trust that signal. So we just like lose it. We just completely lose touch with that. Um, and it's also like a mistrust of that we have of our babies. You know, we don't trust that our babies have that signal in the first place. But like Beth is saying, I guarantee you they do. Like we're born with that signal. Um, so the more we mess with it, it's just the more dysregulated our system systems get. And if you've been doing, you know, if you're hearing this and you have a five-year-old and they have, you know, a lot of eating issues and you have been forcing them to eat food, it's possible their, their, their signal might be a little muddled right now. You know, they might need some help finding it again, but they totally can. Um, and it's totally possible. Um, so what I wanted to say is in order for this to work, part of our responsibility is providing nutritious food. Like you can't just feed your kid, you know, crappy food and expect this, like these principles to apply because you are like, bodies can't regulate around like Doritos and foods that have those like really, really highly processed chemicals that mess with that signal. So that's where, you know, providing very nutritious whole meals is really, really important because that's gonna allow the body to work the best. And that is part of our responsibility. It's not like, oh, you get to do whatever you want around food and just let your kids like be responsible for it. No, no, no. Like as a parent, you are responsible for what food you're providing. And it doesn't mean it needs to be some perfect meal each time at all. I want to I wanna kind of add on to that. I recently decided to read Intuitive Eating by Elise Rash and Evelyn Tribble. And it, it there was some really interesting data and facts in there. And I would highly recommend it for yourself. And then uh, the newer edition also talks about feeding kids and, and 
having an older kid and how quickly, you know, the younger they are, the easier it is to get back to that. And while I, my recommendation is to stock your house with foods that you're okay with your family eating. So in general, always have foods like, you know, so that the choices that are available, that you're okay with all of them. But I also think it's important, you know, if your kid's at a party and doesn't have an allergy and wants to eat pizza and cake, that it's okay for your kid to eat pizza and cake because they talk about the statistics of how restricting a food actually leads to the desire to eat more of that food. So, you know, part of me wonders that is the reason that Doritos or, you know, these foods that we think of as like unhealthy are so easy to just keep eating? You know, there's two reasons. Is it one of them that they're so, they turn off our signals is because we've restricted ourselves for a month so long and we haven't been able to have it. And two, what is the setting in which we're eating that food? Are we eating that food while watching TV? while distracted, while doing those things. I know many, many people who get their kids to eat by setting up the iPad and feeding them spoon after spoon after spoon so that they eat their meal. And that just completely turns off the signal. So of course your child finishes their plate when they're not paying attention to their food and you're wondering why they have a stomach ache later. Or can we just sit down at the meal and yeah, maybe my four and a half year old runs back and forth between the table and the playroom. I'd rather her just sit with us or maybe color or what have you. But, but she's then saying, you know what? I'm not hungry right now. I'm going to say, you know what? You don't have to eat right now. You do have to sit at the table with us, you know, or what have you. So those are two things that I did want to note that, you know, labeling food as good and bad is, never a good thing and restricting food can actually lead to binging on the food later so if your child is asking to try something especially you know if they see you eating something and you say no to that that that's a no-no right I think Andrew talked about this with popcorn one day in the car right it's like well you know if you're eating it you need to be okay with your kid eating it I'm not saying this with alcohol but maybe you should save that till after they go to bed Yes, totally. And I, yeah, I think that book would be a great read for everybody. And I totally agree with the restriction thing. And yeah, if, um, I didn't mean to imply that like you can't have Doritos or anything like that. It was just like, if that's all you're feeding your kid is like those kinds of foods, it's going to be really tough for them to develop that sense. But yes, if they're at a party, like eat all I want and, and don't limit it. Like if they want to eat the entire cake, that's how they learn that too much cake gives them a stomach ache. And you just have to trust that like, that's how, that's how they need to learn that lesson. And like, that's totally okay. I mean, you might not like that later on, but that's okay. (laughs) We'll figure it out. I'd love to talk a little bit more of like the early starting solids. Um, I'd be curious on your viewpoint with, with my older daughter, we mostly did like baby led weaning kind of just like big pieces of food. We rarely ever did purees. We just gave her what we were eating. She kind of chewed on it. She enjoyed it. She also had teeth really early, so she was able to manage it pretty well. With my second, I mean, this kid cannot get enough purees. And she will eat anything and she will grab the spoon and pour it into her mouth and she just and then like when she's done, she's done, but I and I can tell, but she will she will eat any of it like and I make some of my own I buy some I use a combination of a lot of things and we also then give her like I'll give her a, a slice of red pepper to suck on and chew to kind of keep her occupied if her food's not ready yet um and and this is kind of telling me that 
kids are different the way that they learn and do things and that there's not one right answer. I assumed that we were going to kind of do the same thing with the second child, but reading her and noticing like she is seeking more nutrition from these foods, whereas my older one was like, breast milk's good. Like, I'll just get a few bites here and there of this other stuff, whereas my second just, she wants you know, human food. <laughs> so um, I think it's really important to know that your kids are different and to be okay with that and that different things are going to work for different kids. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, kids are going to have totally different timelines too. Like one might be ready for solids and really showing signs like as early as four months, you know what I mean? They're like, that's how Remy was. He was like trying to eat food off <laughs> of our thing. And we didn't want to feed him until six months, but we ended up kind of splitting the difference for that reason. And then, yeah. And he was a, he was a solid eater. Like your first two, like he, we just did baby led weeding. We really didn't do purees, but if your second likes purees, eat purees. You know what I mean? I think, I think we want to like pay attention to what our kids like when we're preparing the foods for them and we're choosing what they're eating. Like don't make foods your kid hates all the time, but um, so it's like, if they have that tendency, I think that's totally fine to, to go to that and then kind of slowly introduce like clumps and whatnot. So she like starts eating solids at some point, but like, she'll figure oh, it out. Yeah. She yeah. Eats, we do purees for breakfast and lunch and then whatever we eat for dinner, we just cut up into small little chunks and she nice. just kind of yeah. eats that. So yeah, she, I, I do, I want to make a note of that. It's really important to get your kids early on trying different textures, Textures are a big thing. We think a lot about flavors and we think about, okay, adding the veggies. And I honestly don't think that the order in which you give foods matters much. Like, Mm -hmm. you're just, when they're babies, they're just going to take what you give them a little bit. And they might like it, they might not. But I don't think, you know, formula, breast milk, they have sugar in them. It's not like you give them Mm -hmm. fruit that it's going to set anything back. Uh, My first kid ate bananas, her first food, and she was a wonderful eater until about, you know, a month ago. So, <laughs> um, so, so I don't think that that matters, but I do think it's important to get textures in early and get them exposed to, you know, we did, we had hamburgers the other day, so I cut off the edge and like the edge of the hamburger is kind of like gristly feeling like that's a different texture than a smooth, smooth puree. And I think it's important for kids to experience that early. If nothing else, get your kid used to textures, different textures early. Totally. And what I wanted to touch on is kind of two things. One, like what to do if you're like, well, my kid hates vegetables and they'll never eat them. And then the other thing is like what to do if you're like, well, my kid's really overweight, so I have to limit his food or my kid's really underweight, so I need to force him to eat. So I'll talk about the second one first. So Remy is really tiny for his age. Like he started above the 50th percentile, but then he just like has kind of dropped over time. And now he's following his own growth curve at like the 10th percentile or something. It's probably even lower than that. And honestly, I'm not going to be surprised if he is below the growth curve because when I weigh him, he like literally has not gained a pound in like six months and he just keeps getting taller. So like, <laughs> but he's developing totally fine. Like the doctor really wasn't concerned about it or hasn't been concerned about it. If it wasn't for weighing him, like I wouldn't have any like slight bits of anxiety. Like it takes me still like this mind management to have to do to like not get a little bit anxious about the fact that he hasn't gained any weight. But because he eats, oh my God, this kid eats so much. Like yesterday he ate like two entire avocados for breakfast and a banana and sausage and eggs and then like started eating my food. And I'm like, 
where are you putting this? Anyways, but then there are some days where he like doesn't eat anything. Okay. And like on those days, it's really, it takes me a lot of this, like, okay, like I got to remind myself, I got to breathe. I have to trust him because I do have that tendency, even knowing all this to like, want to be like, eat, 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 you know? And like, okay, you didn't eat what I set out. Let me get you something else. But really that, that's what sets you up for the like, you know, being a shorter cook and like having to cook on demand for your kid. And like, I don't want to have to do that. So that's like my reminder of like, okay, he didn't eat what I gave him. That's it. He doesn't get to eat until this next meal. And it's okay. Like I can trust that like he ate a lot yesterday. So he just isn't going to eat as much today. And that's okay. Um, And I do want to say it's important to look at what your child's eating over the course of a week mm -hmm. and not over the course of a day. Because in a day... You know, a day is a day, and and I usually find that uh, with my watching my my older one grow, she will usually have about three days of eating like everything in sight, and then another three to four days where she's just not really hungry, and that matches a lot with the way the kids grow when they're young, as they don't grow steadily over time, they grow in spurts, so they're eating a lot, matching that. I mean, even as early as breastfeeding, they usually say the growth spurts. It's a three day three-day nursing that increases your supply or, or increase in bottles or what have you, and then and then they level off again. So that's something that I found true up through, you know, she's now four and a half. So there's definitely the, oh my gosh, you're eating everything today versus yesterday you ate nothing. Mm-hmm. Totally. And the, um, in the book, she talks about a lot of studies that actually showed overweight kids or, you know, kids who were like for the doctors, whatever, were overweight, um, tended to actually eat less calories like on their own and actually underweight kids in many cases tended to eat more calories, like on the higher end of the range. And so it's like, again, it's just, they're, they're accounting for their different metabolisms. Like the kids that were tending to be like chunkier, they just had that like you know what I mean? There's everyone has a different body type, the more like endomorph, mesomorph. Like some people are just kind of like the bigger, like slower metabolism body types. And other people are those like really, really skinny, like high fast metabolism people. And that's just like, you're literally born with that. And that's kind of the point she was trying to get at is like, your body's going to account for that. So those kids who were kind of the slower, like less active, a little chunkier kids, they actually ate less calories to accommodate that for that, even though they were maybe, you know, in the hundredth percentile of their weight. So it's not that, so they didn't need to be restricted calorie wise. They were eating like what they were eating was perfect for their body types. Um, So it's like, if you're feeding your kid nutritious foods and like good whole foods, and of course, whatever, you go off to that random party and they eat whatever the hell they want. That's cool too. Then like, just trust that even if your kid is over or underweight, like that they are going to eat what's right for their body. Um, And I think that's the part that's really hard. And that's like what brings up our own eating issues, you know? So like, I was the smallest in my class and um, so was Adam and stuff. And it's like a lot of guys who are really small, you know, they kind of get made fun of. So it's like Remy being really small. I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to get made fun of? Because he's, you know, so it like brings up these little things. It's like, and being able to put these out in the open of like why I'm so anxious about Remy being so small is something that I need to work through to help myself with this. I want to, I want to say something about that because um, my nephew is fairly small and he's a boy and, 
Um, and, and you know what I what I realized is that it doesn't matter. Kids are going to find something to make fun of you for, you know, and, and let it be something that you can't control. Like, let it be you're, you know, oh, you're smaller for your age, you're bigger for your age. Like, I developed really early, so that was hard for me. But, like, oh, and I had really poofy hair. Like, this stuff, no matter who you are, I'm sure even the kids that were, like, in the popular crowd or what have you, like, I judge them for things. Like, we are, unfortunately, a society that that finds find something to judge or something to pick on other people for because it, you know, it, it, it reflects on our own insecurities. Like, let it be something like that. And it's it's not it's not the end of the world. Like, your kid is going to get picked on. Just, but you know, there's nothing you can do about that one. Like, let, let them be picked on for being too nice. Like, that's what, that's like my goal. Like, hey, let me make a kid, you know, that's like really kind to everybody. That's like, man, she's just too nice. Like, how can she be that nice? You know, or whatever. Like, your kid's going to get picked on. As parents, we want to protect them from that. But that's a part of childhood. It's a part of what we need to learn how to deal with. So, such a good point. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Um, All right. And then getting to the other one. Um, the whole like my kid doesn't eat vegetables or won't eat certain foods. Um, So there's actually quite a few studies that show it can take like 15 to 20 exposures for a food or of a food to for the kid to eat it and like to, to learn to like it basically. And that's a lot of exposures. So your job is to just, and it doesn't mean you need to like, you know, exhaust yourself doing this, but it's like, all right, let's say green beans or something that you really like to eat as a family just means putting some on their plates every time you guys have them, maybe preparing them in different ways. So like steamed versus baked versus, you know, coated in nice, lots of butter and fat, you know, and, and just offering them every time. And just leaving them on the plate, you can be like, hey, there's some green beans. They, they see you eating them and enjoying them, and they can try it. They don't even have to try it. They don't have to put it to their lips. They don't have to do it. It's just looking at them, seeing them, that's enough. That's an exposure. And letting it be if they don't eat them. And that's it. Like, literally, and over time, they might get adventurous and try it, depending on your kid. You know, we have those different types. Some kids are going to be super adventurous, and other kids are going to be like, Don't get that near me. But the way they're going to gain that trust is like for you to not force it and them to know that like, it's okay if I leave something on my plate. And then that means like if vegetables are kind of, you know, you're like, all right, I kind of am concerned about vegetables, but you know, your kid loves it in a certain way. Then like, you know, you, maybe you're going to make that more often during the week. Like it's okay to like cater to your kid's tastes. Um, in balance. You know what I mean? That way they're being exposed to it in different ways, but it's like totally okay. If your kid loves, I don't know, cream spinach, like then make cream spinach more often. Like it's fine. Or like slap more butter on it. That's like the answer to everything or coconut oil. If they have a dairy issue, like put fat on it, put like good quality sea salt on it or really nice flavorings that, you know, they like spice wise and like, you know, make it so they will like it. Um, Versus like trying to hide it in things because then they don't really learn to like what the vegetables taste like it kind of, you know, yeah, sure they're eating it, but they don't like learn that like vegetables are really tasty on their own. Um, Not to say there's anything like I make meatballs with chopped up vegetables and, you know, stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with like incorporating in other meals, but like not for the purpose of hiding it and tricking them into eating them, if that makes sense. 
I think that doing the, you know, quote unquote, hiding them into meals is more for the satisfaction of the parent knowing like, well, I know that they're, if I know that they're getting them in this way, then I don't have to feel pressured to get them to take a few bites on the plate. Um, You ask my daughter if she likes broccoli. She says no. She's like almost never tried broccoli, right? She just, she just doesn't like it. But I do. I put it on our plate every time we have it. She goes, mom, ew, it's touching my other food. I said, oh, do you want to take it off your plate? She says, yeah. And she does. One time she decided, my husband's like, you want to try it dipped in ketchup? She tried a tiny little piece dipped in ketchup. Totally fine. But I know what vegetables she eats. She likes green beans. She likes carrots. She likes tomatoes. And she likes peppers. So every day at lunch, I send her with like carrots, tomatoes, or peppers. And I know that she's eating lunch with them. So my husband doesn't like green beans. So I don't make them every night because it's either like, well, do I make a vegetable that me and my husband like? Well, I'll eat all of them. But, or do I make one that my daughter's like? And you know what? By dinner time, she's not, she's too tired to actually pay attention and to like try things she doesn't really feel up for. She's much more likely to do it at lunch at school when that's kind of the only option because that's what we sent her with. So I don't stress about it. And and we were for a little bit, we more kind of encouraged the protein aspect. And she used to love chicken and then all of a sudden went on a total chicken strike. And I was like, oh my gosh, we make chicken thighs like weekly. What are we going to do? And she says, I want pork chops, mom. Mara and Oprah are having pork chops. So I bought pork chops. She gobbled them right up. She loves them now. I think that she gets this kind of mental thing like, oh, well, I don't like this. And she'll say, I don't like that. And we'll say, well, you should just try it and see if you like it. But she'll like barely lick it and then be like, I don't like it. Well, of course you don't. You've just told yourself for 10 minutes that you don't like this food. So we don't do that anymore because the more she tells herself that she doesn't like broccoli, like... How much, you know, you tell yourself you're not going to like something that doesn't actually surprise you then. Um, so I think that it's really important to let them find find the few things that they will eat. Like if there is one vegetable that they like, make it occasionally. Don't make it every day because they're going to get sick of it and then you've got nothing else to fall back to. But let them have some say in it as they get old enough. Like for now, and that I have a four and a half year old that can say like, mom, I don't want to eat chicken anymore. And I say, well, what will you eat? I will eat, uh, I will eat pork chops or mom. I don't like the white fish. I like the pink one. I'm like, okay, I will make more salmon and less of the, you know, the rainbow trout that was, that looked really good to me. And, uh, you know, it's pick and choose. She almost always eats a hamburger. It's like, it's like she, she, you know, we'll ask her, do you want a hamburger or a chicken? A burger. She loves red meat. Like this kid we had for Valentine's Day, my husband and I had bacon wrapped scallops and I bought her a ribeye. Okay. Like a really tiny one. And she and my, and the baby kind of shared the ribeye. Yes. I, but they eat it they, in giving her that power of saying, this is what, what do you want? Then she can't tell me, oh, mom, I don't like that. Because guess what, honey, you picked the meal. Totally. I love that so much. And I kind of feel like I want to talk about other things. So I'm wondering if we should extend this into a two-parter for time. Because like, I want to talk about like sweets and, and things like that more, but I don't want to like cram it in at the end. Yeah. And we're definitely over time anyway. So yeah. I think that's a really great place to wrap it up. 
So thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, we will continue this discussion and talk about sweets and all of those other fun things. So follow us on social media for news, updates, and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Feats of Real Eats and Andrea, Dr. Andrea Moore on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.